absolutely phenomenal. So it's an absolutely awesome privilege to have Matt here right now. Why don't you just all stand to your feet right now? Come on. Everyone stand to their feet. I want you to give Matt Fielder the biggest Hawks Bay welcome. Pastor Matt Fielder! Woo! Give Jesus a great shout in this house tonight. Come on! Awesome! Oh, wherever. Beautiful. Sorry, you may be seated. Sorry about that. We're just trying to work out where to put the pulpit. Man alive. I love it. My church just grew overnight. It was awesome. But, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Dave, as he was saying, uh, being a part of Planet Shaker City Church in Melbourne, it was actually uh, planted last year in February. Uh, with a team of 50 people, and uh, they went over there, and now we have 20, uh, just under 2,700 members of the church, 2,400 decisions, and uh, about 2,000 of those the first time. So it's just absolutely exciting stuff. I mean, how many people know God's doing, God's doing some awesome stuff? And you know what? It's no different. See, the beauty of that is, is we're the church. That's what it's all about, and God is in the business of saving and changing lives. He's still, in fact, I believe that he's doing it in even greater measure. And, you know, I've got to tell you, this church, when I see this sort of thing that you guys were just showing, this superstar stuff, that is, that's sensational. I was saying to Pastor Mike, he's saying, look at that. He said, this, the kids were saying this was one of the greatest things of their life. And I said, yeah, brought to you by the church. Brought to you by the church, man. It's time to let people know the church is living, it's alive and well. Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives, isn't he? Come on now. Okay, well, let's get into the word. It has been a privilege coming and speaking to your youth. We had a spectacular weekend. Uh, you, got some, you got some great youth, you know, unleashed. And uh, last night, God turned up in a great way. Some good things happened. Didn't they? Do you think some good things happened? Man, there's some crazy guys. They actually went out yesterday. I mean, my wife, I rang up my wife and I said, what's it like over there? And she said, there's not a, a cloud in the skies. And I said, well, there's not a sky in the clouds here. You know, it's the exact opposite. I think I finally got to see the sun this morning, but it's just rained continuously. But even these kids yesterday went out and played in the rain. Some of me went swimming. I mean, there's something wrong with that, right? I mean, how cold was it? It was bone-chilling cold. They still went out for a swim. But uh, God's doing good things. And uh, my voice is a little bit husky because uh, last night we kind of ripped it up in prayer and uh, got kind of loud because I find it hard. When you're talking about God, it's very hard to keep quiet. Who agrees? Who, who agrees? Are we, are we all here this morning, you know, tonight? So you've got to say, the one thing I love about uh, coming to New Zealand, this is, I think, my eighth trip to New Zealand in the last year, and uh, I've got another five trips to go. I just love coming over here. I think there's something happening here. I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, the thing is, sometimes it t- often takes someone coming from outside to come, uh, come into a place and see something, and there is a, there's a rawness, there's a hunger for truth over here. There's a hunger for something more in life. Who, who agrees with that? I don't know whether you sense that, but that's what I sense. You know, people are hungry for answers. They're so desperate, they'll jump in front of cars. You know, last night, uh, uh, as uh, Pastor my, uh, David was taking me home from the camp uh, to the hotel, we're driving along. Which road was it? Havelock. Havelock Road. We're driving on the road. It's pitch black. And I, just in the distance, as we're talking, I thought I saw something move, right? I thought I was at an animal or whatever. And I thought, no, no. And as we go along, I to see a silhouette of a man, right? And I went, I went to, I went to, I said, there's a man in the road. 
And he goes, he turns around, he goes like this, he goes, what? What are you talking about? I said, this is, no, that's what he did. I said, no, there's a man in the road, right? And he's going, what? What? There's a what? There's a what? 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 All of a sudden, I can see the guy's features, man. I mean, the lights are shining on him. He's standing in the middle of the road like this. Now, I think that's a bad thing. I don't get that, right? But I'm sitting there going, Dave, there's a man in the road. And he goes, this, what? Oh, and just misses the guy. I mean, this guy's drunk as a skunk standing in the middle of the road trying to get a ride. Oh, there's better ways of getting a ride, folks. Do not stand in the middle of the road. You will get a ride, but it won't be the ride you wanted. It'll be in a white truck with red lights on top taking you to the hospital. Poor guy. But, you know, and, and the best part is, so we get, he comes in the car, jumps in the car. He's got blood pouring down from his mouth. Looked like someone had given him a bit of a biffing. And, uh, and I'm thinking, my gosh, what's this guy doing? He's, he's, man, I got drunk on his breath. And uh, as, as, you know, Dave's just going, yeah, hop in, mate. No worries, sit in. I'm going, oh, great. Anyway, so then the guy sits in the back of the car. I'm thinking maybe he's going to pull out a knife, go, ee, 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 you know. This is just how my imagination works, right? Super Dave, super cool Dave's going, how you going, buddy? Well, you had a bit of a scrap, have you? Wow, okay. Anyway, while he's talking this, a car pulls up. Four other guys get out of a car that have just missed him coming the opposite direction. And they get out and they want a biffing. So they come over to the car. So Mike, Dave, Dave, super cool Dave, winds down the window to talk to them as well. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Right, and they're going, hey, hey, what are you? Beep, 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 beep. Then the guy in the back's going, beep, 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 beep. I'm going, shut up, man. Right, and, and, and so Dave's going, it's all right, mate, blah, 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 blah. He says, oh, you almost gave me a heart attack. Hey, you know, we'll almost run you down. And so the guy's going, oh, look, I'm just getting out the car. Dave's just like, I'm freaking I'm freaking. I'm not in control at this point of time, right? Dave's just going, no, mate, you sit in the car. How you going, buddy? Listen, no, just calm down. He's just like, he's Joe Cool. The guy didn't even break a sweat. I'm thinking we're going to, rec- we're going to go to meet with Jesus any second here. And this guy's just like, yeah, yeah, no worries, man. Does it the window. See you later. Bye-bye. Everything's cool. Super Dave. That's what I call him now. Super Dave. Cool as a cucumber. He was ready to take on any of the guys, man. He was just buff. He's seen Dave just beginning to flex, veins popping out of his arms, neck beginning to throb. He was ready. Super Dave. Awesome. Anyway, let's get into the Word of God. How many people brought their Bibles tonight? I want you to hold your Bible up in the air right now. Say these words, Father, feed me tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Give it a bit of a shake. Awesome. If you've got your Bibles now, turn with me to Esther chapter 4. Esther was a very, very, very good lady. How many people agree? We're looking, you know, God's looking for great women of God that are going to rise up. You know what I mean? Not just in New Zealand, but in Australia, all around the world. It's time for great women of God to rise up and take a hold of the Word of God. Amen? You know, I met some guy the other week who actually thought that women should not ever preach. Women should never open up their mouths and speak the Word of God. And I'm thinking, well... Now, he was younger than a 1,000 years old. He wasn't that old, but he thought that women shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't preach in the church. And I thought, well, that's the craziest thing. I remember asking God about that, and he said to me, he said, well, look, he said, when I allowed my son to come to planet Earth, how did I allow him to come? Through a woman. And he says, but who's my son? My son is the Word of God, and I allowed a woman to carry the Word of God inside of her. 
not only did I allow her to carry the word of God, but then I allowed her to give birth to the word of God. So he says, if I allowed it to happen back then, I want it to happen today. Amen. Awesome. You know, that's just to win some ladies on my side. Praise God. So you'll cheer loud as well. Okay. Esther chapter 4. Now, before we get into Esther chapter 4, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a, a prefix. Esther 1, 2, and 3. The, the, the Matt Fielder in, the interpretation of what I read, right? So I'll just bring up to speed and then we'll start preaching from Esther chapter 4. So Esther chapter 1, there's a king called Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. Now Xerxes is a very cool king and he's a wealthy king and he rules over I think 127 provinces, right? It says, and he decides that it's time to show off exactly what he's got, what he's established and that sort of stuff. So he decides to put on a type of parade, if you like, a type of show fest, it says for 180 days, right? So he invites all the kings and noblemen and all the people from the, the surrounding provinces and he begins to do all these different tours of Xerxesland. You know what I mean? He's got bus tours going on. He's got all this different stuff. All these tourists are jumping in the Xerxes bus and there's a guy going, you know, over on the left there's Xerxes tennis courts where he likes to play a couple of rounds. After that he rests in his hundred-seater jacuzzi where he sweats up. Then he likes to get a massage in his private, sal- in his private massage and solarium. And everybody's going, ooh, ah, wow, that's amazing, right? And then they said, over here we have Xerxes Wonderland, where they've got Pharaoh's ship. You know what I mean? They've got the, the Pharaoh's wheel. They've got a, a ship that's like uh, uh, the pirate ship ride. It's called Noah's Ark. The only problem is it goes for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long ride, but you have fun. You know what I mean? So they're talking about all this stuff, and everybody's going, wow. Then they show all of Xerxes' palaces. He's got these big palaces and palaces on top of palaces. He's got helicopters, man. He's got jet skis, everything. And everybody's going, whew, this king is good. And he's going, yes. I am. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, it's a power trip for him. So for 180 days, everybody's being oohed and aahed about all the stuff that Xerxes gathered. Now, at the end of the 180 days, it says that Xerxes decides to put on a seven-day barbecue, right? Now, I'm just, I'm just Aussieizing it. I'm Kiwiizing it, right? He puts on a seven-day barbecue. Some of you are saying, is that in the Bible? Yeah, you just got to look a little deeper, right? Seven-day barbecue. So he puts on his feast, and it says the queen, his wife, she puts on a bit of a feast for the ladies as well in another, in another area. So after seven days, it says that Xerxes is getting in high spirits. He's been eating some sausages. He's been having some, you know, prawns on the barbecue and that sort of stuff. He's been drinking away. It says that he's quite high in spirits. Now, as he's sitting there, he suddenly realizes, man, all these people have seen all my flashy stuff, but they haven't seen my best. My best is my wife. That's what he says. He goes, the best thing I own is my wife because she is a foxy mama. All right, it's in the Word of God. You just got to look deep enough. In the, in the Chaldean, it means foxy mama. He says, they need to see my wife because she is foxy. So he calls over some of his servants and he says, listen, I need you to go over to where the ladies are meeting. I want you to go over and tell Vashti, uh, I, want, I want you to go and get her. Tell her to put on that dress that I just bought her. Tell her to put on the tiara, the crown that she's got. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of makeup. She doesn't need a lot because she's gorgeous. And then tell her I want her to come out here and kind of do a pose down on the catwalk so all these men can see Right? It's in the Word of God, trust me. Right? Some of you are just looking going, is he making this up? It's actually there. It's really there. Right? I mean, I'm dramatizing it, but that's what we need to do. See, so, so anyway, the eunuchs go off and they go and see where Vashti is. And they say, excuse me, Queen Vashti, um, uh, King Xerxes is just wondering, you know, he, he's been talking with the guys. And he really wants you to kind of put on that dress. And if you could put on the crown and your hair and just a little bit of makeup. And then he just wants you to come and kind of, you know, show off, that sort of stuff. Right? And Vashti says this. She goes, no, I'm watching Oprah Winfrey. That's what it says. It's in the Word of God, right? She says, no, 
I can't go. And afterwards, we're watching Dr. Phil because we emailed a few questions to him, right? So this is what it says. Now, it might not quite be in there, but it's in there. You understand? She says no. So all of a sudden, the eunuchs go back to King Xerxes and they say, and King Xerxes said, when's she coming? And they said, well, she's, she's not coming. She said, no, she's uh, watching Oprah. Dr. Phil, then they've got an Enyo party going on afterwards and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, the king loses it. He gets angry. It says that he chucks a wobbly. He gets very angry, right? And so all of a sudden the officials see that the king's mad. They go up and say, what's the matter, king? And he says, well, he says, I've got a bit of a dilemma. I asked my wife to come over and she's told me no. And he goes, what do you think we should do? And the, the officials say, well, this is not good, king. This is not good. If word gets out that your wife has disobeyed you, then all these other kings and provinces, if their wives find out that she got away with it, then they're going to have problems with their wives as well. And he goes, well, what do you think we should do? And they said, fire her. Fire her. So he went in like Donald Trump and he said, you're fired. You know what I mean? That's what he did. He just went in there. He goes, you're fired. Brrr, penalty. You're no longer queen. She's out. Right? So now Vashti's no longer queen. Right, so now here's the king. He's happy because he's made a decree. Everything's cool. The fear of the king's still gone around. The women are going to respect their husbands, so he's all happy. But it says as you progress on in the chapters that the king starts to get a little lonely again because he realizes there's no longer a queen sitting in the rock recliner throne next to him. And so the wise men see this and they say, you know, it's not good for the king to be alone. We need to throw a beauty pageant and audition all the young ladies to see who can be voted the next queen. Of Miss Persia, can be voted Miss Persia. So they hold a Miss Persia competition. It's like a big beauty pageant, right? They advertise it on television, they advertise it on radio. It's all going out. Come, you could be the next Miss Persia. So all the young ladies all around the provinces, they all enter, man. It's an amazing thing. All the beautiful women from all around the area all come in. They fly in a singer from Las Vegas wearing a big glitter jacket. He's singing songs like, Here she comes, Miss Persia. As they're walking down the aisle, the whole deal, they go through the swimsuit competition. They go through all this sort of stuff, right? And this is a thing, right? You know, they even ask the questions. They say like this, you know, if you were voted Miss Northern Province, Miss Persia, what two things would you do in that power? And she goes, I'd feed the hungry children and go for world peace. And everybody goes, woo! You know, it's a big, deep thing. It's a, it's a celebration time, right? So anyway, in the line is a girl by the name of Esther. Everybody say Esther. Yes. Esther is a Jewish girl that has been brought up by her cousin Mordecai because her parents died when she was young. And Mordecai is a Jew also, and he brought her up in the Jewish traditions and looked after her. And it says that Esther was not only beautiful in appearance, but also beauty inside as well. And so she competed in it as well. And when she came through, she was just drop-dead gorgeous. But not only was she drop-dead gorgeous, she had all the right answers. When she was interviewed, she gave the best answers. And when she came out on the catwalk, King Xerxes just couldn't believe it. He goes, that's the one I want. Oh, 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 yeah, she wins. She absolutely wins. So they put the crown on her head. Esther is now Mrs. Persia. She is queen next to King Xerxes. Are you with me so far? Some of you are still looking at me going, are you sure he's not making that up? Really, it is in here. It is in it. You just got to look, right? So now she's the queen. So Mordecai goes off. He's happy. All right? Now, the king had a bunch of guys that were closer to him than anybody else. And one of the guys that he had as one of his royal officials was a guy named Haman. Right? Now, Haman was a type of he-man. Haman was a type of power tripper. Haman was the type of guy that loved it when he got excess power. And the Bible, uh, the Bible tells us that King Xerxes raised him in his authority and gave Haman an authority where people, if they saw, even saw Haman... They'd have to bow. Right? So Haman loved it. He'd be walking around on a power trip. He'd go, what's up, Dave? How you going? And Dave would have to go, Haman. You know? You know, he'd see Kate. He'd go, Kate, how's it going? Kate. 
You know, and, and so, so Haman's loving it. He's going, check this out. He's walking with these guys. He's going, what's up, man? And they go, oh, Haman. You know, and he's going, I like this. This is very powerful, right? So only one day he's walking along, and there's Mordecai by the king's gate. So Haman's walking by. He's going, Dave, Haman, Kate, Haman. What's the place? He goes, Mordecai. And Mordecai goes like this. Mordecai goes, Haman, what's up? Dog. You know, <laughs> there's, there's no respect here. So Haman goes, Haman, Mordecai? And he goes, yeah, and, and? Right, so Haman can't believe that Mordecai's not paid any respect, right? So he also gets rageful. He runs back to his family and says, man, I cannot believe that Mordecai. I was walking down the street today. Everybody else is bowing. I see, I see Mordecai by the king's gate. I say g'day to him. There's no bow. There's no reverence. There's no honor. I hate that guy. I want to kill him. And then he thinks to himself, he goes, you know what? I don't, he's a Jew, isn't he? I don't even just want to kill him. I want to kill all the Jewish nations. I'm sick and tired of those guys. So he goes in to see King Xerxes and he says this. He goes, oh, king, what should be done to the enemies of the palace? What should be done to the enemies of your province? He says, I believe that we should destroy them all. There should be no, no enemies in your provinces. And he goes, he says, you know what, king, don't you worry about it. I'll draw up a contract for the annihilation of these enemies of the king. You just give me a seal of approval. And the king says, sounds good to me. So he takes out his signet ring and he stamps a seal of approval on the contract that Haman has written out, not only for the destruction of Mordecai, but the destruction of the whole Jewish nation. Are you with me thus far? And he sends it out. Okay, we pick it up in Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, it says this. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore off his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out wailing in the city uh, loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Mordecai wasn't able to enter the king's palace because he wasn't dressed right. I want to say to you tonight, you need to understand this. How many people know that God has dressed you a certain way to gain access into certain places? How many people understand what I'm talking about here? See, friends, you know what? There are people here, each and every one of you, just have a look at your neighbor right now. They are uniquely different to you. There is something different. They are dressed differently. And see, God has dressed each and every one of us a certain way to gain access into places that other people can't get. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, for me right now, I'm a 40-year-old man. Now, I know you're amazed by that because I look 20. And I appreciate your love and support. It's oil of Olay that keeps me looking so young. You know. But the thing is this. is I cannot, as a 40-year-old man, now walk into a primary school. I can't do that because I'm not dressed like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about the outward appearance. I'm talking about the way I am. I can't just walk in. I can't walk into your job right now. I can't walk into your factory and just go, hey, how you going? Just sort of come and work here. Because I'm not dressed right. See, God has dressed you for where you are right now. Do you understand what I'm saying here? See, friends, it's not about what your outward appearance is either. It's not about whether you wear country roads, Stussy, Tarjay, Big W. It's not about that. It's about the way God has dressed you, meaning he has designed you for a specific place. Do you understand what I'm saying here? See, and God doesn't make rubbish. So you need to understand this, folks. When God made you, he made perfection. He made something unbelievable because God's handiwork is unbelievable. And see, we're dressed. You have been dressed by God. And see, when you get a revelation of that, understanding that you are designed by God. See, you lift up this tag here and it says something like Jean-Marc, right? But if you were to pull up the back of my neck, it's got a little label stuck on it saying made by God. You understand? 
You understand? See, God made me. And see, this is the thing. When you get a revelation of the fact that God made me, that God made you, then you understand God doesn't make rubbish. I was saying to the young people today, see, when we get a revelation of how much God thinks about us, it'll change the way we walk. It'll change the way we talk. See, people are always trying to work to change their appearance, aren't they? We color our hair. Some of us, it's easier to color because there's less hair to color. Some of us got a full head of hair. Some of us got no hair. Some of us got the biggest part in the middle of our head. It's incredible. I mean, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm, my hair's slowly going back here. I've got these two cul-de-sacs here, and then I've got a roundabout forming at the back. One day they're going to meet, and I'll just have this little tuft of hair, and I'm going to grow it as long as I can, and I'm going to gel it straight up with a big banner to Jesus Christ on it, you know? Either that, or I might reinvent the comb-over. You know what the comb-over is? The comb-over is where you grow your hair as long as you can on one side and then flick it over the patch and stick it to your head. Now, I've got to tell you, friends... I know you're bald. You know what I'm saying? We can tell. We can tell. Like I try to make this look as, as thick and fluffy as I possibly can, but people know. They're, they're onto it. You know, there's nothing worse than when you have a comb over and the wind catches it and it kind of flicks over like this, right? And it's like a serving tray on the side of your head. You understand what I'm saying? You could go to McDonald's and go, just put it in the tray, thanks. I say to people that do that, I say, you're better off tattooing rabbits on your head because from a distance, they'll look like hairs. Oh, oh. See, see, some of us, man, we, we, we're always trying to change the way we go. We get plastic surgery. We get all this sort of stuff done. We don't like the fact that our nose is too big, too small, too pointy. Turns up too much and you drown every time it rains. You know what I mean? All these different things. Some of us have got beautiful, sparkling white teeth, man. Some of us have got teeth that are like stars. They come out at night. You know what I mean? Some of us got those. Some of us only got three teeth. You could park a car in between the gaps, you know? And we're all complaining about it. We're always going, why, why, why? Nobly knees, this sort of stuff. Some of us, where we once had a six-pack, now have a keg. I say to people, man, that's cool. Just tell everybody you're in shape. Round is a shape. Come on. People say, are you in shape? Absolutely, I'm a perfect circle. Look at me. You know what I mean? It's just great, man. Whatever shape, and even if you haven't got a description for the shape you're in, you've just invented something. Come on. See, friends, we've got to understand you've been dressed by the Lord Jesus Christ to gain access. That your personality was dressed by God. There are some places that I walk into, and the moment I begin to talk, people are not going to accept me because maybe my, my personality is a little loud. I say to people, you can't blame me. Blame God. He created it. I've got a loud personality. In fact, I was quiet before I became a Christian. I was a lot quieter. Before I became a Christian, it took a lot of pharmaceutical chemicals and experimental recreational drugs to make me feel funny. Now I just breathe oxygen and I'm gone again. You understand? See, that's the beauty of God. Man, that's the beauty of God. But see, people see, your personality works for other people. When God designed you, he was thinking about someone else that he could reach. When you walk into a place, I walk into a place, they go, ooh, ooh. But you walk into a place, they go, come on. And they entertain it. They, they love talking to you. They feel open before. You ever found that? Because of your personality. See, God designed you. He dressed you a certain way. He dressed you a way that gains entrances into places that no one else can get into. So that place where you're called right now in the workplace, God's dressed you for it. If you're in a university right now, God's dressed you for university. If he's called you in the street, he's dressed you for that street. He's dressed you for the family that you represent. He's dressed you for those places. You represent that and you are dressed to gain access into that palace. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay, so number one, God, God's dressed you a certain way. But it says this. In every province, verse 3, to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came to, uh, came to her and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. 
She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathach went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in the front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther. See, friends, you know what he said? He said, here's a contract out on our lives. That's what he was saying. There has been a contract put out on our lives. Friends, you know what we need to, you know what we need to understand? For every person that's living and breathing on the planet today, there is a contract out on their lives. You, you hear what I'm saying? There is a contract out on their lives. The devil has written a contract on every person's life. His desire is to occupy hell with as many people as he can. There is a contract out there. There was a contract. If you're a Christian in this place, you need to understand there was a contract out on your life. But when you gave your life to Christ, God nullified the contract. But see, friends, see, this is the thing. I, I tell you right now, God, I believe, is about to move in such an incredible way of soul winning in the church, bringing people back into the kingdom of God. It is a time for the prodigal to come home, folks. You should be getting a little bit more excited about this because some of you represent unsafe family and friends here and we need to see them in the kingdom of God. Amen? See, friends, we need to get a revelation. See, so many people want to just want a new revelation of heaven. Friends, as Christians, we need a revelation of hell. Because it's a bad place, man. And no one deserves it. In fact, hell was not designed for human beings. It was designed for the devil and his angels. That's what it was designed for. And see, friends, God has done everything he can to stop people from going to hell, yet they're still going there by the millions. See, the Bible says there's only one way to heaven, but there's a million ways to hell. Just do nothing about it. And see, friends, this is the thing. What, what we take lightly, the devil takes very seriously. There is a contract out on their lives. There is a contract out on their lives. See, it's not even a form. It's, it's worse than terrorism. The devil's got a worse scheme than terrorism. He's destroying people's lives through all manner of things. Drugs, alcohol, loneliness, low self-esteem, suicide, all these different things. Depression. All these things that are ripping people off. They're all schemes. They're all things to pull down people. See, Brent, I'm, I'm my, my, uh, my younger brother is the only one in my family that's saved. I have... Three brothers, two sisters, 23 nieces and nephews, seven great nieces and nephews. I don't know what you call them, great nieces and nephews, but that's what they are. And, uh, you know, I've got all these people. And the only person in my family that's saved is my younger brother. My younger brother got saved because I stopped beating him up when I became a Christian, which is probably a good thing. So if you're a Christian, you don't beat up your brother anymore. He might get saved. But the thing is this. Now, I wouldn't beat him up anymore because he's six foot four and about 140 kilos. And he's a rugby union player. So I don't mess with him anymore because he'd eat me alive, right? But the thing is this, is he radically changed. But the thing is, the rest of my family are going to a lost eternity. That is the reality of it all. Like I'm a preacher, I've been saved for 19 years, but my family are going to a lost eternity. My dad right now is, is, is slowly dying. He's lost so much weight over the last year and a half. He's the skinniest I've ever seen. I've never known him to be the skinny. Right? My dad was a federal cop. He's a hard man. You know, he's kind of, he comes to watch me preach every now and again, you know? And he classes himself as a first-class heathen. Comes to watch me preach every now and again. Every time I do the article, which I'm going to do in a moment, and invite people to give their lives to Christ. Do the article and I say, you know, if you're in here and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, now's your opportunity. My dad actually goes as he goes. And I think, you stubborn old mule. Why don't you get saved? 
I'm praying that God saves him and then takes him straight away so he can't backslide. You know what I mean? Just take him straight away, not backsliding. But see, the understanding of this factor is right. He's coming to watch. But I remember, this is the thing, friends. There's a contract out on them. There's a contract out on my mum and dad. Do I believe they deserve hell? Absolutely not. Am I praying for them? Absolutely. But right now, they're going to a lost eternity. And that's, that's real. Makes you feel solemn, but the bottom line is that is real. And there's a whole world outside of these doors that are going to a lost eternity. And you and I have a greater cure than the cure to cancer. We have a, cure, we have a greater cure than the cure to AIDS. We have the greatest cure. It's the cure to eternal life. It's Jesus Christ living in us. Amen? And see, friends, we need to get a revelation. See, I, I, I believe, I remember when I, I was saying to the guys, when I moved to Melbourne, I moved to Melbourne in the middle of January this year. And on January the 15th, we had a farewell party at my family's house, my mum and dad's house. And I was saying goodbye to him that night. And I said to dad, I'll, see, I'll come back and see you soon. He goes, that's if I'm around. Because my dad knows that he's on his way out. And I said, what do you mean? Where are you going? Going on holiday somewhere? And he goes, no, you know what I'm talking about. He says, I might not be around. I said, well, let me tell you something. All right, let me tell you something. I said, I've made a deal with God that you can't die until you become a Christian. So you can struggle as long as you want, but you ain't going anywhere until you give your life to Christ. How's that sound, Dad? Right? Now, for the first time ever, my dad didn't have an answer. Normally, he has an answer for everything. But he just went, is that right? He goes, is that right? I said, yeah, that's right. So you're not going anywhere until you become a Christian. So struggle all you like. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that was one point to me. I'll tell you what, that was a good feeling, right? I mean, but the thing is this, is friends, there's a contract on them. We've got to understand, we've got to get a passion. We can't just pray for souls, we've got to go reach out for them. See, this is the thing, church. If we go, God, give us souls, give us souls, give us souls, God's saying, yes, 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 go and get them. See, Jesus, see, this is the thing. Jesus said, go, we say, come. Jesus said, go, we say, come. Two-thirds of God's name is go. The last third is Duh! We've got to go out where the people are. Some people are too afraid to come in here, aren't they? Come on, man. They think that the walls are going to fall down. They think everybody's going to freak out. Someone walks in here who's never been in church before. They're going to go, Oof. They're going to think that the walls are... I love it, man, when people like that go, walls haven't fallen down yet. But it wasn't like when I first walked into a church. Man, we've been there. I've been there. When I first walked into a church, I'm sweating profusely. I had a mullet haircut, man. My hair was down here, shaved on the sides, peroxide all the way through it. My big gold earrings, I was a bodybuilder back then. Now it's kind of shifted. You know, I've got, I say to people, I've got CIA muscles. They're deep, deep undercover, you know. And the thing is this, but I remember going in there and I'm walking in like some sort of tough guy, trying to be the tough guy, trying to intimidate. And there were meaner looking guys than me in the church. Guys with chats all over there, every part of their body. More jewellery in their face than a jewellery shop. I was expecting to see a whole bunch of people with little white suits with silver hammers going tap, 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 tap. I walk into church and go, this can't be a church, man. This can't be real. But all the time, God was saying, see, see, see. But see, you know, people's perception of what church is, is scary. So we've got to go out where they are and let them know in the neighborhood, let them know in the streets who we are. They were actually real. They, some of them wouldn't even believe that ladies wear makeup and they call themselves a Christian. Ooh, no, 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 no. They've got more rules on us than God has. Women can't wear pants. That's the spirit of man. <laughs> see, friends, see, what you need to understand is we've got to get out where they are. We've got to go out and reach out to a society. Jesus was constantly celebrating with people. He never sinned, but he celebrated with people, and he drew them in. So that's the second thing. Second thing we've got to recognize is a contract out. It says this. It goes on from verse 8. It says, uh, brrr, 
guerra. To show Esther and explain it to her, and he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him before her people. Verse 9, Hathach went back and reported all, uh, uh, all that Mordecai had said, right? And uh, then, sorry, he reported to Esther all that Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he or she be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I've been summoned, right? You know what she was saying? That there's a risk. I could die. If I go into appeal, I could die. You know what, friends? Life is a risk. See, she was saying there's a risk. I'm scared. I don't know about you, but when it goes out to reaching to the lost, I'm scared, man. What if they reject me? What if nothing happens? What if someone freaks out? See, friends, these are all things, but there is always going to be an element of risk. There is always, in fact, one person said, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. It's risk. It's taking a risk. When was the, when was the last time you did something for the first time? When was the last time you stepped out of the boat? When Jesus called Peter to step out of the boat, he said, come, Peter. Peter said, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come. So Jesus goes, come on then. And Peter goes, hang on a second. I'll come. Imagine Peter, this is a fisherman knows you can't walk on water. His foot's out of the boat and he's sitting there going, I will come if you call me. Jesus goes, come on, come on, come on. You know what I mean? There's a risk there. What if he sinks, man? And he hasn't got any help. He's in the disciples in the boat. Thomas is going, you're going to drown. You're going to die. You're going to sink. Can I have your roller skates? You know what I mean? He's kind of freaking out. But see, there's a risk. When did the water get hard before or after Peter put his foot on there? I don't know. Does it say that all of a sudden the water turned to concrete? Did it say there were little yellow stepping stones saying this way to Jesus? Did it say that Jesus prayed and Peter's feet bloomed up to Ronald McDonald's side feet and he was able to walk on the water? No, there was a risk that had to be taken. See, friends, there is always going to be a risk. What if they say no? But see, friends, we don't even give people the opportunity to say no anymore. We don't ask them because we're so afraid of being rejected. I've got a friend that asked me to do things that I don't want to do every time I see him. Asked me to go into nightclubs, asked me to go and get drunk, asked me to go and try drugs, you know what? And I just go, no, 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 no. But he never stops asking me. He's got more faith that he can convert me back to that stuff than I have that I can convert him to Christianity. I should be asking him and giving him an opportunity to turn me down, shouldn't I? Why don't we ask him? The worst thing they can say is no, man, but get over it. See, friends, you've got to be able to take a risk. The greatest risk of all is the risk of riskless living. One person said it like that. See, friends, we need to understand we are not called just to get comfortable. See, I love Mordecai's reply. When Esther's words, verse 12, were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. You know what he was saying? I love it, man. There's an ultimate danger. There's a fear. But he was saying this. He said, don't get comfortable. You know, friends, I reckon the most dangerous place to be as a Christian is comfortable. Some of us are just too comfortable. Some of us are so settled going, well, that's it. I'm fair enough. I'm saved and it's all good. Don't get comfortable, folks. Don't get comfortable. I remember going to preaching somewhere in Victoria. The guy that picked me up, I said, how's life? He goes, pretty comfy. I said, oh, that's terrible. Don't get comfortable. You know what comfortable is? Comfortable is dangerous. 
Comfortable is when all sorts of things happen to you because you're comfortable, friends. We live a riskless life. We never do anything. We never take any risks, so we get comfortable. Eileen Gooder wrote it like this. She goes, you can save all the money you can and spend only on the necessities of life. You can eat only healthy food in the name of good health, avoid all the bad food, go to bed early as to make sure you get quite a good rest, never quarrel with anybody, always be in Switzerland territory, always agreeing and being safe. And she said, and you can still slip over in the bathtub and break your neck and it will serve you right (laughs) man I don't want to live a riskless life it's time to step out see we get all comfortable one man said this he said boats are safe in the harbour but that's not what boats were made for they were made to be out where the water is, weren't they? Friends, we get comfortable. Young married couples, we get comfortable. We get comfortable. I meet married couples that are older than my parents. They're 22 years old and they go, oh, Pastor Matt, have you seen the price of meat lately? <laughs> no. I don't care. If meat's so expensive, become a vegetarian. In fact, I say to a man, I said, how can you complain about meat when you've got a perfectly healthy big dog in your backyard? Seriously, we're going to argue about the price of meat? But people like that, you, know, you get people that get comfortable in, or they come to church only for one reason, to find a partner, then they disappear. You can always tell the ones that are there to find a partner, because when they're worshipping, they're like this. I was telling the young people, they go, I worship you, almighty God. And it's all about the girls. In fact, you can't wait for the pastor to say, everybody link hands and pray. Because you've been praying for the opportunity, you grab hold of that person by the hand and you say, let's pray for every nation, individually, pastor. But all you're believing for is a partner, man. We get comfortable, we get safe. I've met couples, oh, I know people, seriously, they pray for children. And the moment they get children, they use the children as an excuse not to go to church. That's just wrong. God's blessed you with a child to pull you away from him? I don't get it. I've, I've, I tell you, friend, come on, gee, some of you ain't liking what I'm saying. Well, come on, man. Amen and pretend that I'm not talking to you, right? This is the thing. We see people that, 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 that I've heard people turn and say, oh, you know, why, why weren't you at church on the weekend? We didn't see you. And they said, oh, well, you know what happened? We, we bought this house and, uh, and, 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 and we bought a letterbox and the letterbox hadn't been painted yet. And uh, John wanted to paint it red and I wanted to paint it green. And so we had a big argument and we didn't come to church. <laughs> oh, that's true. You know what I pray? I pray God blows up the letterbox. I pray God send them bills for the rest of the year. Just bills. That's the only mail they get. Bills, 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 bills. Oh, you're a bit tough. No, that's ridiculous. A letterbox is standing in the way between you and God. Some people say, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. I go there and there's all people hypocritical. If a hypocrite's standing between you and God, guess who's closer? Oh. Ooh. See, see, you need to understand. See, folks, we, 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 we freak out over all this sort of stuff and we wonder what's going on, but we get comfortable, friends. Don't get comfortable. Stir it up, man. As long as you're alive, give it your best. Doesn't matter whether you're seven years old or 107 years old. I tell you, please, can I speak to the elderly just for a second here? We need you to stir us up continuously. I don't want to meet old people that are resigned to life. I want to meet older people that are passionate. I'm figuring, you know what, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to go nuts. If God tarries long enough for me to keep on jumping, I'm going to jump as long as these legs will jump. And if I go into a wheelchair, I'm going to work out some sort of suspension that I can bounce around. Come on, man, it's an attitude. I want a wheelchair that does burnouts. You know what I mean? I mean, the whole thing is this. It's all about an attitude. 
meet some older people. Oh, oh, please. I hope this is all right. I'm preaching at this church in Perth. And it was all the young people at a camp. And I was invited. I wasn't speaking at the, the, the morning session. Jurgs was speaking at the morning session. I was speaking at the night session. So I went to the morning church. It was all these people, 70 years old plus, right? Now, I love 70-year-olds. I'm hoping I'll get there, right? But these 70-year-olds, I'll get invited. They say, now Pastor Matt Field is going to get up and speak. And as I get up to speak, I sit there. And there's this old lady sitting on the front like this. And I said, well, I'm feeling a lot of love from you, lady. I say what everybody else thinks. And then the rest of the guys just sitting there with their arms folded with a scowl on their face. And I said, you know what? I said, what I'm feeling here right now is a lot of you are looking at me going, what can this young punk teach me? What can this young punk say to me? I'm 70 years old. What can he tell me? And I said, you know what? I said, you know what you can learn from me? Plenty. Plenty of things. Freaked him out. Gave him a heart attack. It was awesome. See, the thing is this, is we never stop learning. You know what? While you are taking up oxygen, God has got a plan for your life. While you are still breathing the same air I'm breathing, God has something for you. He doesn't want you to quit. He wants you to keep on going. He wants you to step it up. There's no retirement. Retirement's when we get there. There's no whirlwind right now, so obviously God hasn't finished with you yet. Stop using the excuse, well, I'm old, sonny, I did it before. Big deal, do it again. It's tight, but it's right. See, you know what? I love it. I shared the story with the young people. It's all about attitude. This older lady at Paradise Community Church, riddled with cancer, was put in the hospital. Had lost over 40, 30, 40 kilos in three or four weeks. Cancer just eating her away. She was dying. Knew she was dying. Only had a few days to live. While she was in hospital, she had led 12 of the nurses to the Lord. 12 of the nurses to the Lord. When Pastor Ashley went to visit her a few days before she passed away, he goes, how are you going? And you know what? He, honestly, even as she says it kind of, he says, I was expecting her to be quite bitter. He said, how are you going? How's everything going? Waiting for her to go. She go he goes, are you, are you, are you, are you angry? You're disappointed? And that's what, a lot of people come and pray for her to heal, be healed, right? And she goes, are you kidding me? She goes, I'm not angry. She goes, the devil can take this body, but he can't take away my spirit. He can't do nothing, man. I mean, this woman radiated Jesus better than anybody else I've ever met, man. And here she is having every reason to go, why, why, why? But she was leading people to Jesus Christ, friends. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's not about whether you've got perfect health. It's about your spirit being perfect. Giving it over to God and saying, God, every breath that I take is going to be glorifying your name. Amen? So let's not get comfy. This is the last part. And I finish with this. And the musos, if they want to come, is this. It says this. He said this amazing thing. He goes... For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. You know what? I, this part hit me the most. I remember when I first read this and it just kept on going over and over in my mind. See, you know what he was saying is no one is indispensable in the kingdom of God. If we don't do what we're called to do, God will get someone else. God only has plan A for your life. But the problem is we choose plan B, C, and D. God only had plan A for Jonah. He said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, which way is Nineveh? And God said, it's that way. So Jonah went, whoop, and took off. God was so passionate about him fulfilling the call of God in his life that he sent Moby Dick after him to get him back. I don't know the way I was called Moby Dick, but you know, work with me. The first underwater submarine. But he did the job. See, this is the thing, friends. God has plan A. But you know what? The part that freaks me out the most is so many people think they're indispensable, but you're not. If we don't do what God has called us to do, then he will move you aside because he needs to get his job done. Remember Pastor Danny preached this message years ago, and it stayed with me forever. He said, God is throwing a party. 
Everybody's invited. But if you don't come, the party's still happening. Chinese proverb says this, man who say it cannot be done needs to move out of the way of the man doing it. See, the problem is, is this. In this great nation, Australia and in New Zealand, all around the world, in fact, great men and women of God have fallen. But for the grace of God, so go we all. But they've fallen, morally or whatever it is. And everybody was expecting the ministries to end. But there was someone waiting. Because God is busy winning this kingdom to him. God is busy. So many people think, well, that's the end of that. That's the end of that. That'll be the end of this ministry. And someone else is waiting in the bleachers because God needs to get his job done. And you know what I've got to tell you, friends? The one conviction I have is I don't want to be replaced by someone who's doing the job that I was supposed to do. I want to do the job. Reinhard Bonnke, who two, three years ago, out of his own testimony, if you read his book, he says, I was not the first one called to Africa. I was not the second one, but I was the third one. I was the one that responded. Right? He was, called, he was the third one called to Africa, but he was the one who responded. Three years ago in Nigeria, in one meeting, led 1,063,000 people to Christ. In one meeting. I mean, that's just awesome, isn't it? Can you, can you imagine the thrill of that? I was saying to the youth, I said, imagine he goes, yes, I see that hand, 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 hand. Sun goes up and down, hand, 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 hand. I mean, it would have been crazy. It would have just been, I see all your hands, you know. But the thing is this, is out of his own testimony, he said, I was the third person, but I was the one that responded. Oh, you know what? And I, don't, I say this just because it's the way my mind works. Could you imagine being the first two? Could you imagine if you got to heaven and you said, God, I, you know, I think, you know, I did, what, I think you, I did what you called me to do. And he goes, well, yeah, that was good. That was good. That was good. What you did was great. This is the fruit that you, you bared and that sort of stuff. There he goes, that's spectacular. But then he goes, but check this out. Shh. And he pulls back the curtain and shows you the plan that he had for you. I, I don't want to miss out on that. I want to I die trying. You understand? I love it. Well, Wigglesworth said, I'd rather live in fa- die in faith than live in unbelief. Abraham, the Bible says, died not even seeing the fulfillment of the promise, but he died with it always in his view. He was always heading towards what God had called him to do. Friends, that's what we're called to do. Put our hand to the plow, not look back. I don't want to be replaced by anybody, and I know you don't either. So friends, let's get committed to the cause. Let's get committed to this great nation. Let's get committed to this city, man. The church has a passion to reach the lost out there. Then let's play a part in it and win the lost out there. Amen? Amen. I love it. Esther, she responded incredibly. She said this. And Esther said to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat for three days, night or day. I am amazed with fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You know what, friends? The one thing I discovered is this. We're going to die anyway. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. One day you're just going to shed this sleeping bag of a life. When, when it happens, it's just going to be... Whoop, ba, ba, da, ba, and you're going to step into eternity. We're all going to die. So I decide, you know what? I want to die so passionate for God. Doing what God's called me to do. I, I was trying to say to God, I said, man, let me know. You know, I want to be ready when the trumpet's around. I want a couple of sinners near me when the trumpet sounds, because I'm going to get them in headlocks. And as I start rising up, I say, do you believe in Jesus? No. Uh, What about you? Yeah, buddy, good. You know what I mean? Just get one more in, hey? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't forget the guy would say no anyway. But the thing is, this is, friends, that's what it's all about. This is the only opportunity we've got. This is your one chance at life. See, Shirley McLean believes she's got a few more trials. She's got a few more times to run it. But this is it. There is no dress rehearsal. This is it. This is what we've got right now. 
when we pass from this body, we go to eternity, into the spirit realm. So I want to live it to the fullest. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. Superabounding quantity and quality of life. That's what God's looking for. As an Esther generation saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to give it my best. You know what? There are families that are represented here that need Jesus Christ. There are neighborhoods that you just God's placed on your heart, communities, universities, hostels, and that sort of stuff. It's time for you to step it up. If God's placed on your heart, turn saying, God, I'm going to start doing something. I'm going to start stepping out because you could be the very tool that brings in a whole generation into the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? God's not looking for superstars. He's looking for ordinary people that become extraordinary in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Just in this moment here right now, in these last few moments, maybe you're in here tonight and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. You've never asked him to forgive you of your past. And you're saying to me, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Well, see, it's just plain and simple. The Bible calls us all sinners. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sinning does not mean you're an axe murderer. You may be an axe murderer. Sinning doesn't mean, sin means you are separate from God. That before a holy God, we don't, we don't measure up. And so when we come to Christ and we say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my past sin and make my life brand new. God then relinquishes. He washes away those past sins. No matter what it is, you may have been the nicest person in the world or the nastiest person in the world. God doesn't judge one sin over another. He just says it's sin. And he wipes it clean. So we all need to confess it. And tonight you're saying... Man, I know it's no accident that I've come here. Ever since even when I walked into this building, I've sensed something different. From the first song, my heart has been racing. There's been a part of me that's been wanting to run out of this building, but there's another part of me just doesn't want to leave because I feel like I've found what I'm looking for. Well, you have. What you've found is Jesus Christ. And see, all during this night, maybe your heart has just been beating. You know what that is? That's Jesus Christ knocking at the door of your heart. See, Jesus will never force himself into your life. The Bible says that he knocks at the door of your heart, but this is the thing, the door handle's on the inside. Only you can open it up. You can't be forced to be a Christian. You have to invite Jesus Christ in. And tonight you're saying, well, I would love to do that. I'd love to invite Jesus Christ in, but I don't know how. Well, I would love the honor and the privilege of leading you in a very simple prayer, asking Jesus Christ to come in, and he will come in. The moment you you pray it sincerely from your heart. So if that's you in this place and you're saying, Matt, I want to invite Jesus Christ in my life, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer right now. And I want Christians, you help us pray as well, but especially you that have never prayed this prayer before. Maybe you've been away from God for a long time, but you're coming back tonight, saying, I'm coming home. Then you repeat this prayer after me. Just say this all together. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, of everything I've ever done that is against you. Father, I pray right now that I open up the door of my heart and I invite your son, Jesus Christ, to come in. Jesus, tonight, I declare you as my Lord, as my Savior, and as my best friend. From this night on, in your awesome name, amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're in this place here and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, maybe you've been away from God for a long time. While no one's looking around, I want you to do this thing for me. I want you to raise your hand because I want to acknowledge you. Just raise your hand nice and high if you prayed that prayer tonight. Thank you. That's awesome. 
Thank you. Why am I asking you to raise your hand? Because the Bible says, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you genuinely prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you've been away from God for a long time, and saying, Matt, I, I, I want Jesus Christ. I asked him to come into my life. If you haven't raised your hand already, just raise it up nice and high. I'll see it and you can put it down. Yeah, thanks for that. That's awesome. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you. That's awesome. Others here, thank you over here to my left. That is brilliant. Who else in this place? Is there others here? I just don't want to miss you. This is the most important decision of your life. This is the most important decision of your life. Maybe you, you feel a little nervous right now because you just made the greatest decision for the rest of your life. You've decided to go for eternal life with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else in this place looking over one more time? Just raise your hand if you haven't already. Jesus, you're wonderful. Jesus, you're wonderful. Thank you, God. I want us now, just as a whole congregation, to stand to our feet. Every person in this place, just stand to your feet. You know, there were probably about four or five people that put up their hand just then. Now, friends, we've got something that we want to give you. But not only that, we want to let you know about the decision you've made. See, friends, if we, if we, just, let, if we just let it go there, we just said, hey, thank you very much. God bless you. Have a great night. Have a good supper. Go and eat healthy, you know. Watch the uh, replay of the All Blacks thrashing the Lions, which was an exciting thing. Then we would be doing you a serious injustice. We would really be ripping you off. We're not into that. What we're into is family. We're into letting you know and congratulate you on the decision that you've just made because you've made the greatest decision for the rest of your life. We do have something that we want to give you, but we also want to let you know about this decision because that's what family do. They care about each other. So what we're going to do is the band begin to play in just a moment, and the crowd, the congregation begin to cheer you on because a lot of the people that are standing in these aisles have done this. A lot of the people that are standing in the chairs have done this beforehand. I'm going to ask you, because I just want to pray for you, not embarrass you. I want to pray for you and congratulate you. So I'm going to ask you, if when the band begin to play and the crowd begin to cheer, if you could get out of your seat and walk down the front here and just stand here, that would be a phenomenal thing. So now the band's going to begin to play. Congregation, let's cheer them. If you raise your hand, why don't you come down the front right now? I want to shake you by the hand. That's awesome. Come on, you come. Come on, this is your time. Come on. Just giving their lives to Christ. It is not, it's, it's the, the conviction of the Holy Ghost is just drawing them. And I just saw like a greater soul winning anointing coming on your life like never before. People drawing, going, I, I need exactly what I feel in this place. It's literally like they'll sit and they'll fidget during the whole of the service because the words that are spoken, the atmosphere, and the moment the imitation, even while the imitation is going on, people are just going to get up and they're going to walk down here because the anointing flows down. Let me tell you, church, this is what it's all about. The anointing flows down. It flows down from the head down. It flows from the head down. I'll tell you what, you're going to see it in this great man of God here. And it's going to spill out upon the church. So I'm going to pray for the senior pastor first, if that's right. And then as a church, we're going to pray, come on, God, rain down on us. Amen. We're going to pray that. Father, I just pray right now in the awesome name of Jesus, a greater, greater soul winning anointing than has ever been experienced before, even as the supernatural signs that you have seen of healings, of deliverance God is going to show you a greater supernatural outworking of souls getting saved than you've ever seen before in your life, it is going to be like he's going to take over your mouth he's just going to speak and as you speak that words are going to go like a net and they're going to draw in the fish, they're going to bring in such an incredible catch Father I pray right now in Jesus name a soul winning anointing like never before 
Santo, Holy Ghost, I want us to reach out our hands as a church. You know what? You know what I, I, I've discovered? This is the biggest thing for me. I sat down with Pastor Mike last night. I said, I was born again again when I went to City Church because my cultural thinking had changed. My cultural thinking had changed. I thought, you know what? We have the best thing. We have Jesus Christ. And it is about creating that culture. And I tell you, friends, this is the remarkable thing. Unsaved people come in here, they will get saved. But the thing is, they're not just going to walk in. They're just not going to walk in. Some will, but it's us going out and bringing them in here. When they see what goes on here, when they sense the atmosphere that we take for granted, they will run to the altar to give their lives to Christ. But we've got to get that in our thinking. God, God said to me, you get them in, I'll get them in. You understand? We get them in here, God will get them in there. Amen. And so I want us to raise our hands right now. And we're going to say, God, this is it. Father, I just pray right now upon every single member that calls himself a son and a daughter of this house. God, we speak such an anointing, Lord God, that would literally draw the souls into the kingdom of God. There would be such an atmosphere breaking place in here that God, each and every person that comes into this place, that doesn't know you would have a revelation of being lost they would have a revelation of being outside but God as they come in as they come in as they sit hear the singing as they listen to the preaching God they would understand this is exactly what they're looking for so God I pray use each and every single one of us from the youngest to the oldest to be a soul winner in the house to be doing the work of an evangelist i speak it over this place this will be a lighthouse to the city this will be a place of refuge to the city this will be a place of help to the city this will be a, a medical center to the city fixing people up spiritually physically mentally it will be known as a house of salvation i speak it out in jesus awesome awesome name and the people shout out